You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Here we go on the internet, you see all these ads that pop up, and they, they promise you how to look young. You know, you put on this thing, and you're like, all the wrinkles will disappear, and, and the doctors are mad because a woman has a secret to get rid of all. You'll look younger forever. You have all these weird ads that are popping up, and, and, uh, and it's cool to look young. It's all right to want to be young and to stay young and healthy as much as you can. But I got news for you. Uh, every minute that goes by, every hour that goes by, we are going to get older, and there's a life expectancy, and, uh, and, then, and then that's it. And so we do get older. But I was thinking about that and just meditating. You know, why is there such a fascination with, I've got to stay looking young, got to stay looking young? And I think part of it is that people are afraid that when they get older, they might be forgotten. They might be abandoned. They might be forsaken. But if I'm young and active and alive, I'll have lots of friends just like I think I will, but I don't want to be abandoned. I think underneath all of it, and we'll talk about that this Saturday at the Spiritual Detox, one of the key things we have to deal with as individuals to be healthy is to come against and deal with the spirit of rejection. And God does not reject us. He, he says, come to me. I will never cast you out. I will not abandon you. I will not forget you. I am devoted, devoted to you. God is so devoted to us. This is what David is saying there. There are uh, memory verses on your bulletin. If you can grab your bulletin, and uh, you'll see the memory verse on there. And this memory verse talks about that. This is a memory verse for, Jan- for February. You learned uh, January's was Psalm 119.45. And this is a memory verse for February, 1 John 4, verse 10. So let's read it. If you can grab your bulletin, it's on the back of your bulletin. And let's read 1 John 4.10 out loud together. You ready? Here we go. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That'll make more sense as we talk about today. But know this, God first loved us. He first loved us. Do you remember when you were in grade school and somebody passed you a note and they said, hey, you got to read this because she gave it to me or he gave it to me and they really like you and you got that note and you didn't even know they existed, but somebody passed you a note and said, so-and-so likes you. Oh, they do. And you're like, wow. And maybe you liked them, maybe you didn't like them, but it was kind of cool to find out that somebody really liked you or you got a Valentine's card from somebody you're so surprised that they liked you. It might be a surprise to you, but God really loves you. He really likes you. He loves us first. He's devoted to us. And that's really the catalyst for us to be devoted to him. So let's memorize that verse. That's, of course, the gold level, all right? You, we know that, right? Some of you are nodding your heads. We have the gold level for memorization, which is one verse a month, but we have the platinum level. Now, the platinum level is a verse a week, all right? So you've had the verses for the month of January. They're on last week's handout. You can get that on the internet, the verses for that, Ephesians 3.20, Psalm 119.45, Philippians 4.13. You can get those off of there, Acts 2.42. You can memorize those, and we'll give you verses for every week of the year. How good is that? And we have platinum, of course, gold. This is the gold one. You do this one, and you'll cover the gold verses. Uh, Jenny, I liked your idea. Where's your little phone? That was a cool idea, the way she's memorizing it. She, what do we call this again on the front here? Your, your lock screen. So she took a picture of uh, because some of on the on the Facebook and whatnot, we have 
the different graphics for the verses and the social media team is coming up with cool ways of doing the verses. And so she uses it as her, on her lock screen and then she's got it right there. You got, you're, you're doing platinum. Look at that. You got Acts 2, 4, way to go. You're, you're platinum girl. All right. Uh, so you come up with your own creative way, put it on the fridge, put it in your dash, but memorize the word. Your word have I hid in my heart. There's just something about loving God's word. Remember we used the example of God's word is like living water. And any time we talk about living water, it's, uh, it's meant to cleanse in God's word. This water, I take it during the day, it washes the toxins. You, you're taught to eat, drink, drink lots of water. But you don't just drink it in the morning. You don't just take a glass of water and then you're done for the day. You're taught to take water with you, sip on it. Especially if you're working out, sip on more water. God's words like that, keep sipping on it during the day, keep sipping on it during the day, and uh, memorize God's word. And that's how we stay healthy. Naturally, sipping on water, same thing spiritually, keep sipping on the water. That's what meditation means. Meditation is not sitting in a lotus position somewhere going, hmm. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is muttering, speaking. Your brain is engaged, not disengaged. Be careful not to disengage your brain, because if you disengage your brain, the enemy is very willing to put all kinds of stuff into it. One of your greatest gifts is your gift of volition, your right to choose. And that's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. Never let your mind be passive. Guard your mind with all diligence. What do I have to guard? Guard against thoughts that aren't good. Guard it. We're very careful. You try to come into our country without a passport. Every person that comes in, checked, screened. We have to be that diligent with our mind. Oh, yeah. And so we meditate on God's word. And that's what keeps us healthy. And, uh, and we're planted by streams of living water. And that was a previous message. We are going to be in the book of John this afternoon. John chapter 4. Would you say with me, thank you, Lord, for the book of John. Yeah, one day you'll meet him. You'll be in heaven. We'll get to meet John. How cool would that be? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah. I remember you guys saying, thank you, Lord, for the book of John. I have no idea if he can hear us. But anyhow, here we are. We're in John chapter 4. This is a story of the woman at the well. And uh, just a little bit of background to the story. Jesus has to go through Samaria. Verse 4, it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. That's a big deal. You know why? Because they didn't get along. There was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Big time tension. They didn't get along. And they would do anything not to have contact with them. And normally they would walk across the Jordan River, make a big detour, and then come across the Jordan River again just to miss Samaria. But Jesus says, I'm going to go through Samaria. And so he goes there. It's, he starts in the morning. He ends up at the town at noontime. And he sits down by the well, Jacob's well, very famous well. He sits down by the well. He sends the disciples in. He says, you guys go grab some food. I have no idea what they had. I don't know if they had a McDonald's in that time. I don't know if they had, you know, KFC or what they were eating back then. But they head into town to get some fast food. And while they're heading into town, they probably passed this lady on the way into town. And he's sitting at the well. And this lady shows up. And he asks her, for a drink of water. Now, this absolutely surprises her for a number of reasons. One, that he's a man asking a woman in the culture of the day for a drink. 
And before even that, he's just saying, can you get me a drink of water? It's kind of very bold. Would you, would you get me a drink of water? And then she recognized he's a Jew, which is even more strange. And then that he's a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he's asking for a drink. The rabbis wouldn't even talk to their wives in public or their daughters or their, or their sisters. But he's talking to this woman. And so she is so shocked. What, what is he doing talking to me? And she says to him in verse number uh, 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And so she's like, oh, really? Like you have some kind of secret water that I'll never get thirsty again? That would be nice to have. She said, no, no, I'm talking about spiritual water. And Jesus goes on to talk to her and she has some questions. She's a little bit, she's a little bit rough on the edges. This lady has come, remember, at noontime. No other ladies with her. Now, ladies, I know you like to go shopping together. I don't know why they do this. Guys, I haven't figured it out yet. But when I say, I'm going to the bathroom, I don't need anybody to go with me. But ladies, they can, hey, let's go to the washroom. And they'll all go. So, so I know ladies like to travel together. And she is at the, <laughs> she's at the uh, well by herself, and it's noontime. It's not like noontime in Vancouver. Noontime in Vancouver, this is about noontime now, not a big deal. But there, hot Palestinian sun, really, really hot. And most of them would have come at nighttime when it's cool. She's coming in the middle of the day. She's coming by herself. That's important. Why? Because she has been shunned. She's been overlooked. Because her reputation is not so good. She has been married five times, and now she's not married. She's just shacked up with a guy, and her reputation is not so good. We don't know why she went through the different marriages. Maybe they passed away. Maybe it was a messy divorce. We, we don't know the situation, but we do know this culturally. For her to come at noontime by herself, you know that she has been forsaken by her community, that she has a certain reputation. And so Jesus talks to her. He reveals that he is the Christ to her. In verse 26, it's I who speak to him here. I am the Christ that you're looking for. The disciples come back, and they're so surprised to see Jesus spending time with her. But what happens to her is that she has, uh, just like Bill Wilson had a moment, a defining moment on that park bench, she has a defining moment at the well. And the defining moment is that Jesus saw who she was, saw that she was married many times, living in adultery, breaking the commandments. Now, we memorized the Ten Commandments the other day. Let's just do a quick test. Who can tell me what commandment is you shouldn't commit adultery? Seven. All right. How do we know? How do we remember the number seven? The broken heart. The seven, the broken. You see, you guys are amazing. You memorized the Ten Commandments. That's great. She had broken that seventh commandment, committing adultery. And... Uh, but the neat thing is about this, Jesus doesn't condemn her. He sends her back to get her husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. And she, he goes, that's right. But he reveals what's going on in her life. She runs back and she tells the people that she knows to come check it out. Now I have a question for you. 
if you were condemned, if you were trashed, if you were spoken down to, if somebody was, oh, you are this lady, would you go tell your friends to come meet this guy? Not a chance. Jesus must have been extremely loving, extremely accepting. He doesn't lessen what she does, but he doesn't condemn her. And she brings her friends. Her friends come and This is cool. Jesus stays in a Samaritan village for two more days. This woman becomes a devoted follower. Like Bill Wilson became devoted, this woman becomes devoted, devoted enough to bring her friends, devoted to have them stay in the village. And if you go to Acts chapter 8, there's a revival later on in Samaria. Dr. Peter Wagner says these two are connected What this woman did, her devotion, her living, helped bring revival in Acts chapter 8. When we recognize God's devotion to us, we become very devoted. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is there in your notes. It says this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Would you say that with me? No condemnation. Wow. Wow. That's really good. No condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, if you back up a bit and read Romans 7, you can do that on your own. Paul there is writing, and Paul, I I can so identify with Paul in that chapter. Because, you know, Paul says, Paul says, you know what? I'm really kind of frustrated with myself. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm really frustrated because the things that I should be doing, I'm not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? Like, I don't want to do it, but I did it. And that which I didn't want to do, I did. And, you go, and Paul, at the end of the chapter, he says, wretched man that I am. This is the apostle Paul. So if Paul felt that way sometimes, I feel like, okay, that it's not so unusual that I'd feel that way. Sometimes I feel very finite. I feel so human. I come to God and say, God, I feel so human. I still feel so finite. And yet you love me. Your, your devotion to me, your, your, your patience with me amazes me. He doesn't condemn me. I'm so glad he didn't say, Dave, you know what? You, that's the 10th time you failed that. Like, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. He doesn't do that. Isn't that good? Now, this woman, she's blown it five times. She's in a mess now. And Jesus doesn't say, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time with you. I'll go talk to some other ladies who got their act together, but I'm not talking to you. That's not Jesus. He doesn't condemn her. He's devoted. Now, devoted is not committed. There's a difference. Committed, you can be committed to your job, but not devoted to your job. Committed is I show up, I get my paycheck, I go to work. Devoted means I love my job. I'm enthusiastic about my job. I can't wait to be there. There's a difference. God's not just committed to us. He is devoted to us. No condemnation. No condemnation, Paul goes on to say, to those who are in Christ. Condemnation means condemning sentence. You could put it this way. There is therefore no condemning sentence to those who are in Christ. If I committed a crime, let's say I was speeding and then I was speeding excessively and I had to go before the judge and the judge would say, uh, it was a school zone, the speed limit was 30 kilometers and you were going 110 kilometers There's a condemning sentence for you, and you're going to have your license stripped from you. You have to pay a fine, and you have to spend so much time in jail. That's the condemning sentence, and it's just. There should be a condemning sentence for it. 
or if somebody killed somebody or if somebody stole something, here's the condemning sentence. And all of us had a condemning sentence on our life before Christ because of what we did wrong. But Jesus took that condemning sentence. Wow. He said, I'll take the condemning sentence that was sentenced for what you did. I'll take that. Now, if you're not in Christ, the condemning sentence is on your life. The condemning sentence is removed when you receive what Christ has done for you. If you've if it has to be that way, because otherwise it wouldn't be love. He can't force it on you. You must have this. He shows it to us. He reveals it to us. But it's a free gift that has to be received. But he took our condemning sentence. He doesn't condemn us because he took the condemnation for us. This woman, she lives a devoted life because of the devotion that Christ showed to her. There's another story in John chapter John chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, just turn over there, or if you've got an electronic version, scroll down to John chapter 8. Here's an interesting story. This is a story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and she's brought before Jesus, and they're testing Jesus. They're trying to set him up. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're more interested in trapping Jesus than they are the woman, and they bring her to Jesus. Now, I always wonder, why. Where, where's the guy? Last time I heard, it takes two to commit adultery. I don't know where the guy is, but he doesn't get brought, but she does. And uh, she's brought before Jesus. She's caught in the act, so she's got to, you know, get herself together. She's dragged there. Can you imagine how embarrassing, how humiliating, how condemned she feels already? The community's there, the neighbor's there, and there's a bunch of people that want her put to death. And Jesus said, well, okay, you want her stoned, Whoever here has no sin, you've done nothing wrong, you go ahead, you throw the first stone. And then he reaches down the ground, and he begins to write something in the ground. Scholars believe that what he was doing is writing down where they'd missed it, where they'd sinned. And one by one, they began to leave. Nobody throws a stone. If anybody could have thrown a stone, it would have been Jesus because he had no sin. And then he turns and he says to this woman, and you can just imagine her her emotion, her, she's cowering there. She's afraid. She's risked her life. She's gone from having this affair. Who knows why she ended up there? There may have been abuse. There may have been all kinds of things that, that caused her to be in that position. And now she's in this position. This is, this is, oh, she's in such a raw place. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, and now there's just the two of them and the drawings on the sand and the dirt and he says to her, where are your accusers? She says, well, they've gone. And then I'll pick up the story because I'll read the words in red. John 8, verse 10. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. She calls him Lord. That's important. And Jesus said to her, you ready for this? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Wow. What would that have done for her? Just like drinking water, life into her. I do not condemn you. What's he telling her? Really three things. One, you're not alone, lady. All these guys that were here, 
They've all missed it too. That's why they all left. You're not alone. You made a mistake, but you're not the only one. That's comforting in itself. Secondly, I don't condemn you. And thirdly, you're responsible. Now go and sin no more. So a, a powerful story. It says earlier on in verse 9, when he was writing on there, this is interesting, those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, even those guys he didn't condemn. Convicted but not condemned. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts us, but he doesn't condemn us. Condemnation comes from the enemy because he wants to keep you down, wants to beat you up. But no, God comes to bring conviction. There's a great book called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. I give you a few points out of his book in your, uh, in your notes there. Condemnation is removed only through Christ. Conviction deals with our behavior, not our status before God. That's an important point. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's way of showing the error of our performance in light of God's standard and truth. His motivation, this is important, his motivation is love, correction, and protection. Sometimes we'll feel convicted. How do we feel when we feel convicted? So it's like, ooh, shouldn't have done that. But that conviction is never to make you feel unworthy. It's to point out that that act was unworthy of the behavior of someone who follows Christ. But you are not unworthy. You are not condemned. He calls you saint. He calls you beloved. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. But he never condemns you. He may bring conviction to what you did and say, that's not worthy. But you are never called unworthy before God. Remember what he paid for your freedom? More than all the gold of the world, he paid for your freedom with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is your worth. Whew. There's not enough banks in the world to hold all the gold and all the real estate and everything else to equal the value of one precious drop of his blood that purchased your freedom. That's your worth. That's your worth. What's the worth of this microphone? I go into a... Uh, some type of a store to buy a microphone and to, you know, uh, 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 whether it be a sound department of some kind, and they say, oh, that microphone is $500. That's the worth of this, $500. What's your worth? There's not a dollar value. Your worth, your worth, really, your worth is far more. Your worth is the precious blood of Jesus. That's your worth. You're a spiritual being, and you have an incredible, incredible value. So he doesn't condemn you, but he will convict you and say that is not valued. Let me give you a couple other points on the next page in your notes. Guilt focuses on the state of being condemned. I'm unworthy. Where conviction focuses on behavior. This act is unworthy of Christ and is destructive. God frees us from guilt that feeling of condemned, because he took that condemning sentence for us. We were guilty. Oh, yeah. I did stuff in my life. Guilty. And it's, I don't even want to talk about it. It's back there, but guilty. But Jesus took the condemning sentence for it. And today, it's so good not to have guilt. So great not to have guilt to be free. 
The conviction is different. Conviction deals with our loss of moment-by-moment communication with God. Conviction produces not uh, a fear of being punished, but a healthy fear, a respect for the destructiveness of the act itself. Conviction leads to repentance, churning, and coming to the Lord. Conviction ends in comfort, the realization of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that I'm completely forgiven and totally accepted by you. Now, like I mentioned, this lady goes back and she tells everybody and they come. And she ends up living a very devoted life. The point of the message, the big idea is simply this. God is incredibly devoted to you. And when we realize again how devoted he is to us, this inspires us to live fully devoted to him. Now, I propose to you this afternoon When somebody is not living fully devoted for the Lord, they need a refresher of how devoted God is to them. And they may even have to go back and remember what God pulled them from to realize again, oh, yeah, you did that for me. I will live fully devoted for you. A couple of verses just to end off with. One of my favorites is Matthew 28, verse 20. And be sure of this. You can count on this. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You know, some people will come and go in your life. Your employer may come and go in your life. Loved ones will come and go in your life. Some will pass away. Life happens. Things go on. People come and go. But Jesus is saying this. I will never, never leave you. I am with you always. I am with you always. This Thursday night, we'll hear about some of these women that are captive in the sex trade, forced to be a prostitute as a slave. Is Jesus with them? Yeah. Will he get them out? I believe so. He's with them. I'm with you always. No matter what season you are in life, no matter where you go in life, he's always with you. That's a great promise. Another great promise is Psalm 119, 139, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. You know what? Your boyfriend might not have thought about you this morning. Your mom might not have thought about you this morning. Your boss probably didn't think about you this morning. But I got news for you today. Before you got out of bed, God thought more thoughts about you than all the sand over there on English Bay. That's how many thoughts he had about you. And they're all great thoughts. You were on his mind. Why? Because he's so devoted to you. That's why. He's so in love with you. You are the apple of his eye. You are his. He loves you with an incredible love. No wonder we want to be devoted to him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.